6 is where we're looking at this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. We're continuing to move through the Sermon on the the Mount. So follow as I read verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is a message this morning on fasting. I was told after first hour that You know, people don't hear too many messages on fasting, so I'm very interested in giving this one to you this morning. You know, this larger section of verses 1 through 18 is talking about our religious practice or our orthopraxy. That's kind of a $3 word for that. Religious practice or orthopraxy. Religion, by the way, as I've said, isn't a bad word. It's just what we do as Christians. We, we live before God and then we, we pray or we give or sometimes we do spiritual disciplines like fasting. It's just what we do. The bad word in this section is hypocrisy or being a hypocrite. And that's what Jesus is calling out. He's calling our attention to hypocrisy or not being a hypocrite when we pray or we give or when we fast. That's what we've been talking about for several weeks. James 1.27 says, Religion that's pure and undefiled is to visit orphans and widows and to keep yourself, keep your, yourself unstained from the world. So we need to be unstained. We need to be pure in our devotion to Christ and what we do. If you're a hypocrite, you're someone who is concerned about what other people think about you. The word hypocrisy or hypocrite comes from the ancient title of the first actor in a Greco-Roman culture, and his name was Hippocrates. So we don't want to be that kind of showman or actor in the faith. We don't want to be a Christian performer that is so concerned about being seen by other people. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6, just to give you a little running start review. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be what? Seen by them. We don't want to be seen by other people, but verse 4, instead, our giving should be in secret And your father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, our Christian religion is is a matter of the heart, not performance. Verse 3 qualifies our giving. And it says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What does he mean by that? He's saying, look, even inside your heart, when you give, you shouldn't be giving yourself internal props saying, wow, look how much I gave, or look, look what I did here, you know? And you shouldn't have that kind of conversation. It's the idea that your left hand's talking to your right hand, telling you how great you are. It's what Jesus is condemning. He's saying that's not how it ought to be. We need to be pure. Even our secrecy needs to be pure. In our praying, look at verse 5. It says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners to be seen by others. And they have their reward. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father 
who is in secret and your father who sees in secret, secret will reward you. So the idea here is that, again, religion or praying is a matter of the heart. Jesus isn't really concerned that you go into a specific closet and shut the door and bar the door when you pray. He's more concerned that the attitude of the heart is to seek God in secrecy, in privacy, in personal devotion, where we want to know him personally. That's what Christianity and spiritual growth and spiritual life is all about. It's what we do as a matter of the heart. And then when people see things that we do, it's not because we intended them to. You know, to be a hypocrite, by contrast, is to be someone who is concerned with his or her own ego. Christianity is is a call to forget about yourself, right? And to think about God and to think about other people. Hypocrisy, by contrast, is being wrapped up in yourself. And even the idea of wanting to be seen by others is the idea that you want the others that see you to tell you how great you are for what you just did. (laughs) And that is what Jesus condemns. Say, look, this is kind of an impossible way to be, right? We're all battling with our own ego all the time, and we know we are. But the the key is to battle. (laughs) The key is to fight. I talked to somebody after first hour. They said, look, I know the weakness of my own flesh, and this hypocritical battle is always ongoing. Well, the hypocrite that Jesus is condemning is someone who doesn't care about that battle. They don't care. They're They're living the life, even in Christian realms, in Christian venues, and they could care less about the fact that they're consumed with themselves and they're, that they're all about themselves. But a genuine believer, like we all are, is struggling with our own ego and hypocrisy, but we're, we're trying to fight against it. That's why we need passages like these, so we can fight against our own hypocrisy. Well, we need to fight it in terms of spiritual disciplines like fasting. Look at verses 16 through 18. Fasting. What a curious topic for us to tackle as Americans. As Americans, we're eaters. We like to eat, right? We do. I mean, we need to admit it. We like to eat. We like our food. We like our comfort food. We also like our food that just gives us energy to live and survive. We feed our families with food. Food is a blessing. And we love the blessing of food as Americans. We're one of the most fed cultures around. I know that there are hungry people and needy people in our city and in our country. But, by and large, our, our culture is enamored with food. We're the, we're the fast food capital of the universe, right? We get it hot and now, and we get it our way. The Food Network is all the rage, by the way, if you're kind of a cable or satellite watcher. Um, if you go on the food channels or the travel channels, those are the most entertaining things around. You've got sort of uh, game shows now where chefs are battling out, you know, competitions to see who's the better chef. It's like, man, why is... Watching people chop up food entertaining. You know, there's this one show called Man vs. Food. I know none of you have heard of that. Adam Richman, this guy, he travels to different cities all around. He's even traveled to Anchorage and Talkeetna. And and he battles the clock to, to shove down outrageous portions of food within a certain period of time, right? And we're entertained by watching him do this. Even when he eats like like habanero peppers on things, right? And he's sweating. Why, why are we interested in this at all? Well, one thing that's interesting is to watch this guy to see if he's going to explode. But the other thing is, is that we're interested in the food. We, we can relate because we've eaten good food. We've eaten bad food. We like our food. We do. 
Jesus knows this. He gave us everything there is to enjoy. He created food. He ate food. However, Jesus knows and is saying that there will be times in our Christian experience when we will fast or might fast. He's assuming it'll happen. Look at verse 16. And when you fast. It's just assuming that it's going to happen. What Jesus isn't doing, and I really appreciate this, is he isn't promoting fasting or legislating a way that you are supposed to fast, per se. He's not saying that you're supposed to fast two times a week or six times a year or ever at all. He's just assuming that you will fast, that there will be times in your life where you will desire to forego food to seek God. Tough times and perhaps times of great anticipation where you're fasting for a cause or for God to bless in a certain way or you're fasting because you're grieved and you're desperate over a circumstance, a sin issue that you're repenting from or that you're praying for someone else to repent for and you're fasting because of that or you're fasting um, for spiritual change in your own life. I like the fact that he really isn't giving rules. There are people, um, for instance, who shouldn't fast. There are people who should not forego a meal because of health matters or because they can't afford to miss a meal. But before we look at this particular instruction on fasting that Jesus gives, let's look at what the Bible says in general about fasting. A quick Bible study on fasting. Fasting is where you forego or abstain from food entirely. That's what it means to fast, to abstain from food entirely. Uh, The meal that's called breakfast, by the way, comes from the idea of fasting. In fact, it's breaking your fast. That's where you get breakfast, because all night, unless you got up in the middle of the night and had a midnight snack, you were fasting while you slept. You might have dreamt of food, but you really weren't eating food. And then when you woke up, you broke your fast and had breakfast. I had a really good breakfast this morning. But, by the way, Jesus is not, again, promoting a kind of fasting as much as condemning abuses that people Um, put into fasting. The Pharisees were abusive. They were self-promoting in their fasting. Luke 18, 12 is where the Pharisee was praying, look, I fast twice a week. Look how great I am because I'm fasting. And Jesus is condemning that very thing. Well, the Bible gives two kinds of fasts in general. One is public fasts and the other is private fasts. There were groups who called public fast in scripture. Nehemiah, he called all of Israel to put on sackcloth and ashes and fast as they were going back into Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. They wanted to to sort of dedicate that event as a way to separate from foreign worshipers in Nehemiah 9. Jonah, that story is where Jonah the prophet showed up to the Ninevites and what did he do? He called them to repent And they did repent, much to Jonah's chagrin. They repented, and the leader said, hey, let's call a fast and put sackcloth and ashes on. King Jehoshaphat, he saw the armies of Moab and Ammon, and they were coming to to invade God's people, and he called for a fast. You have Queen Esther. She went to Uncle Mordecai. I think that Mordecai was her uncle, and said, please call the Jews to fast for me. 
because I'm trying to sort of overthrow or foil Haman's plot to eradicate the Jewish people who were exiled in Persia. And so he called for a fast, and they did. And actually, Esther herself fasted with several maidens that were her handmaidens, and they fasted with her. And then she went boldly before the king, and the king blessed her. Ezra called for a fast as well when he led the exiles back to Jerusalem. And then Jesus in the New Testament. He said that the disciples would fast. Now, I'm not sure if this is a reference to a public fast or a private one. But in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, you had the disciples of John the baptizer. They showed up, and these disciples were kind of confronting Jesus, saying, Hey, look, you know, the Pharisees, they fast, and we fast, but uh, why don't your disciples fast? I mean, what's the deal here? You know, and, and Jesus just said, Listen, while the bridegroom is with you, while the bridegroom is with you and with the disciples, it's time to celebrate. He says, can a wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? When the bridegroom is taken, they will fast. And what this sort of, um, you know, display of, of examples of fasting teaches me is that fasting happens per occasions. When, when there are circumstances that promote it, that's when fasting is taking place. The bridegroom leaves and the disciples are out there all by themselves and they need to fast. But it's not only in bad times and bad or difficult occasions when we fast. There are also other occasions where we would want to fast, like, for instance, selecting missionaries. The early church in the book of Acts, chapter 13, uh, were praying and fasting for who the first two missionaries need to be to go on the first missionary journey. Who did they choose? Paul and Barnabas. But it came through prayer and fasting. And then when they were going to promote them and send them and launch them, the Holy Spirit directed them to pray and fast some more. There's also some private fasts that we can find peppered throughout Scripture. Daniel, he was privately fasting and praying when he found out that God was going to deliver Daniel and those who were exiled with him from Babylonian captivity. In Daniel chapter 9, it's very interesting because you have a, a kind of a scenario where Daniel comes along and he opens up the book of Jeremiah, probably a scroll, and he's looking at it and just reading through the book. And you can find this in Jeremiah where it says that in 70 years, that's when God was going to deliver the Jews from Babylonian captivity from under and it doesn't specifically say this, but King Darius had just come into power. He was a Persian king, and the 70th year was coming up, and they were going to be delivered. And so what what does Daniel do? He says, oh, well, I just trust in the sovereignty of God. I'm going to sit back in my rocker now with my Bible and read this, and I'm so glad that I can pack my bag at my leisure and go back to the promised land. No, not at all. He sees that God's timetable is matching up with what the Word of God says, and so now it's time to examine ourselves. And so he examines himself and sees that he needs to to pray and put sackcloth and ashes on and seek the Lord. Verse 3 says, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. That's pretty It's an awesome display of how the word of God was meshing with the sovereignty of God and creating this strong response of repentance in the life of Daniel. And he also called all of 
the Jews to do the same. Verse 5 says that he assessed the Jewish people in Babylonian captivity as having sinned and as those who deserve to be there and then were going to be delivered. Well, Saul of Tarshish, he also was one who fasted. Remember, he, Saul, who became Paul, was blinded by the light on the road to Damascus, thrown down on the ground, and his response of repentance... And penitence in Acts 9.9 was when he um, went without food for three days. And then ultimately he was delivered. Jesus is probably the premier example of fasting in Scripture. Forty days and forty nights. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew would have just written on that account as then he wrote in Matthew 6, Jesus' teaching on fasting. Forty days and forty nights, Jesus was in the wilderness, having been led there by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan. Jesus aware that he was going to be tempted by the tempter. And that Jesus needs to vindicate his Messiahship. If Jesus were to falter in that moment, all would be lost. But Jesus being God would not fail. But him being fully man, fasted in human dependence upon his heavenly father. Threw himself upon the mercy of God by going without food. And that was the very first temptation that Satan foisted upon the son of God, saying, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. You know, feed your flesh before being fed and sustained by your father. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus hung on to the truth as he fasted. What a supreme example. Well, all of this background, again, it shows us that fasting comes to us by occasions, through circumstances, through difficulties, through trials, through soul-searching times, through times when we have a need for an appetite for God more than food. Instead of it being something that we do out of some sort of superficial religiosity or Phariseeism or something that we see someone else do and say, you know, that person did it, so I need to do it. Instead of doing it on those terms, we need to do fasting. We need to fast in accordance to the circumstances that God brings us, where we feel led to fast, where it's wise to fast where we long to go without food so that we will enter into God's presence in a greater way. Well, let's look at how not to do it first in verse 16. Jesus lays out two ways people fast, the wrong way and the right way. I like how he starts with the wrong way first, shows us what not to do, and then he leads us right into the right way. The wrong way. Again, he's assuming we'll do it when you fast, Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. Now, hypocrites are not going to take this counsel unless they repent and believe. A hypocrite here is someone who's an unbeliever. It's uh, it's like a Pharisee who's, who's just living out their, you know, alleged Christian experience as a hypocritical measure, to, to show off. Uh, they, they could care less about what the Word of God teaches on fasting. They're just doing it to prop themselves up. 
They're the whited sepulchers with dead men's bones inside, right? They're whitewashed tombs. And Jesus is saying, look, just when you fast, don't be like them. You need to care about the heart matter here behind what you're doing in your religion. Don't be like them. They're people who look gloomy and they disfigure their faces when they fast. In other words, they're, they're sort of dressing down. They're, they're, they're looking sort of uh, gross on purpose. Why? So that, so that people will look at them and say, what is wrong? You know, you, you kinda, you're making your countenance dis, disfigured. You're not putting on a smiling countenance. And I don't mean a smiling countenance like a plastic, hi, how you doing countenance? I just mean you're not being normal, you're being abnormal on purpose. Why do people do this? Why would the hypocrites do this? Well, people do this in general. People do this even outside of the church, don't they? There are people who purposefully make themselves look needy when they're not necessarily that needy. People will dress down sometimes. People will wear tattered clothing when they don't have to. I'm not talking about genuine needs here. I'm talking about people who do it for show. People, I, I've known teenagers and young adults who, who come from families that are very moneyed, and they, you know, they dress in sort of dark ways to draw attention to themselves. And when I've asked these people, hey, how are you doing? You know, things going okay? You know, they're kind of offended, like, why are you asking me? But really, it's people who want to draw attention to themselves. They're acting the role of the hypocrite to have their egos boosted. People who starve themselves and they they begin to look like waifs so that, you know, you'll go, oh, are you okay, you know? What's worse is when people do this in the church, whether by fasting or other means. It's when people actually um, put themselves out there through their religion or through fasting and they want people, other people in the body of Christ to care for them. It's the, it's the same concept of someone asking another person how they are doing, except with one proviso. Christians are wired. We are transformed and recreated to want to ask people how they're doing. We want to meet other people's needs, don't we? So there are people that will come in the church or be tempted in the church to sort of, um, sort of use people or abuse people that have compassion towards them. There are users in the body of Christ. And Jesus is saying, look, don't be a user. Don't be someone who fasts or goes without for the purpose of looking a certain way so that people will come to you and give to you. People make themselves sometimes needy in the flesh And they're using you because they know that your heart will melt for them because Jesus has changed your heart to love people. And it's a delicate balance. We need to minister to all kinds of people, people who are needy with a selfish motive and people who are needy because they just are needy and they need spiritual help and physical support. But the rebuke here is on the person who would try to pull a fast one on you and who would act, play the, the actor or the hypocrite and perform their neediness out there to sort of melt you. And we need to be wise and discerning with those people. Some people, for instance, who have the appearance of being needy, instead of you meeting their physical need, they might need spiritual counsel first. They might need you to ask them 
about their motives for why they look the way they look or are acting the way that they're acting. And sometimes we can counsel them with the word of God and then meet their physical needs. And that way, the abuse of fasting goes away. You know, this takes all kinds of forms and shapes in the body of Christ. Some people, for instance, you know, kind of getting off the topic of fasting, some people, in terms of their dress, will dress up to, to show themselves off in church. And they might believe themselves more spiritual for dressing up. And by contrast, and some of the younger generation has, has sort of reacted to this, and they've dressed down to react to the person who's dressing up. A person might dress up to say, hey, I'm more spiritual because I'm dressing up. And then another person might come along and say, you know what? I'm having nothing to do with that. I'm going to dress down in church to um, show you that I don't need that for my spiritual life. You know, some people do this with the size of their Bibles. Some people say, hey, you know what? I have a Bible with all the study notes, you know, Genesis to Revelation. I've got a horse choker, and that means that I am spiritual. And then some people go, you know what? I'm not bringing a Bible at all to church. Like, I've got it all right here, or I can read it on the screen, or read it on my cell phone, whatever. I've got this Bible, right? Well, how do we resolve all of this? Well, I think it's sort of like this. We need to search our hearts and say to ourselves, look, I don't want to have anything to do with hypocrisy. I don't want to put on airs spiritually to try to prop myself up spiritually. And so what I need to ask myself is, in the way that I dress or the Bible I carry or the Bible I don't carry, am I being a distraction to others? We need to ask ourselves that question. And then secondly, we need to ask ourselves this, in terms of how we dress or how we carry ourselves. Am I just being myself? That's what Jesus wants. He wants you to be yourself and to not be a distraction. Now, if being yourself is a distraction, then we need to call that into question and see if we can get a little bit more balanced. But whether you dress up or dress down, just be yourself. Be comfortable with how God made you to be. And when you fast, fast as a personal matter. And Jesus is saying, don't do it as a matter of show to draw on people And drain people who would try to meet your needs. If you act this way, verse 16 says, Truly I say to you, they have have received their reward. In other words, when someone is affirming the fake faster, the reward effect has happened. It's over. And that is completely lost on God. God has nothing to do with a person who is acting hypocritically. All right, that's the wrong way to fast, to look more spiritual. What is the right way? The right way to fast is with the motive that you are trying to draw near to God. That's the reason that you fast, by the way. Why do you fast ever? It's to draw closer to God, verses 17 and 18. Fasting is to draw near to God with an unselfish method and an unselfish motive. Look at verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. What's he saying here? When you fast, be normal. Be the normal you when you're fasting. If people notice and ask you about it, sure, you can be honest. You don't want to say, oh, I can't tell them. (laughs) It's not like that. It's just don't try to put yourself out there as an actor. By contrast, just be yourself. This is one of the most freeing principles that I have found to be true in Jesus' teaching and all through Scripture. 
Spiritual growth happens when we're just being ourselves in the way that God designed us to be. Now, there is definitely discipline in the Christian life, and we need to grow in our, in our Christian walks and mature and fight the good fight of faith. We need to welcome people to mentor us and to speak into our lives. All of that's true. But at the same time, we need to just be ourselves. We need to be who we are. We need to read the Bible in the way we want to read the Bible. We need to read where we want to read and where we're drawn to at certain times. We need to pray in the way that God has designed you to pray, designed us to pray. We don't need to try to carbon copy ourselves with other people. He's just saying, be yourself. Just anoint your head, wash your face. I mean, it's just... Normal stuff, right? For most of us, you kind of wake up and, and you, it's a joke, and you wake up and you, you know, you wash your head, you shave your face and, and you know, I mean, it, it's the idea that you're showing up and you're putting on the same clothes and the same look that you normally would, even if you're going without so that you can seek God. You're keeping your spiritual life private. It's very important. I've grown so much more when I'm not trying to um, outperform what I would normally do. But you look at your normal circumstances and you, you do your part spiritually. You, you grow in grace in terms of the way that God has made you. You know, I, I dress in, in the way that I'm dressed this morning because it's just normal for me to do it. I want to reflect seriousness when I'm opening the Word of God. That's sort of the way I'm inclined to date. And so I'm opening the Word of God, and I'm preaching to you expositionally, which is verse by verse. And this morning I'm taking just a small chunk of Scripture because that was just what I was inclined to do. I wanted to take sort of a slow and careful time through three verses in the Word of God. But that's just the way God has wired me to teach you and to teach you this way this morning. And I think that's the best way for me to do it for your own benefit, rather than me trying to force something or, or look a different way, or try to affect you through the way I'm dressed, or, or through any other way apart from the way that I think God has designed me to do it. And so I'm just acting within my own normal, um, sort of Jeff Crotts way to minister to you. And that's by expositing the Word of God and explaining it to you. And I think that as we pray, as we give, as we fast or do spiritual disciplines, if you'll just be yourself, you'll find great joy in the midst of carrying out your Christian life. It brings a satisfying reward. Look at verse 18. You do these things that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, why do we fast? We fast because we're trying to go to our God in secret. We're fasting and we're doing it in a way that's not showy. We're doing it in a way where other people aren't drawn to, to ask us what we're doing. We're doing all of these things so that we can draw near to God because he sees us in secret and then he blesses us. You know, I was thinking about, you know, different people that I've seen go without food. There are times when people lose loved ones. I, I know someone who lost a father recently and he went away to the funeral. And when he came back, he just looked about... 10 or 15 or 20 pounds lighter. And I don't know that he intentionally thought, I'm going to fast. But he went without food because he was grieved and burdened. But he was, he was doing it 
out of faith. I mean, his grief was, was, was by faith, where he wasn't, he wasn't struggling with the death of his father as much as he was just trusting in the sovereignty of God, and he was going without food as he longed for God and his comfort. And I think that's something that we see in the body of Christ. I know I've gone through certain trials before where I've stopped eating, and I think that's a form of fasting here where I'm just consumed with God, and I'm wanting him, I'm wanting his presence, and I'm wanting relationship with him. Not out of some performance, but just out of a desire for God. And I would recommend that you consider fasting from time to time. Just as the circumstances are brought up in your life where you're working on a personal sin issue or you're praying for someone or you're longing for God to bless in a particular way, you could fast. And you can do it very wisely where you say, look, I'm just going to fast and skip a meal or I'm going to skip lunch. And if I skip lunch, I'm going to go and pray during that time and seek the Lord you know, while I'm um, fasting. That's why we do it. Let's, let's look at a couple personal take-home points for us now, just to bring it home. Number one, fasting is depending on God. It's depending on God. Real fasting, biblical fasting, Jesus-prescribed fasting is depending on God. Your hunger for food is replaced with renewed hunger for God. Next point under that, trials consuming you can cause you to forget to eat. And I've talked about this. This is the idea that your life is crushing you so much that you just don't want to eat. And in those times, you should replace eating for eating the word of God. Next, your hunger pangs can also serve as a reminder to pray. That's a form of fasting where people forego a meal or they forego eating for a time. And when they're hungry, they replace that hunger pang with time with the Lord. Number two, self-discipline may be a reason to fast. Paul was a person who always wanted to put his body under subjection, under control so that he could minister well. And 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 talks about how Paul would buffet his body. You know, some people have um, misconstrued that, and they say, no, that's Paul buffeting his body with food. No, anyway, no, he buffeted his body. I know, I know, just let that one go. Anyway, but I get one a sermon, right? No, all right. It, it, actually, 1 Corinthians 9 says that he would pummel himself into subjection. It's the idea of him, I mean, he didn't physically beat himself, but it was like he was shadow boxing. It was like he's, he's boxing with himself So that at the end of his apostleship, he would not come and find out that he was disqualified. He wanted to be pure all the way to the end. And part of fasting and part of this self-discipline is denying ourselves things for spiritual growth. When we deny ourselves, whether it's denying ourselves entertainment, like a TV fast or whatever, or food... We need to do it, but never do it apart from the Holy Spirit. We fast by the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, spiritual hypocrisy has many forms, and we've touched on this. You can dress up to fit in or to be seen by men. Maybe I should have used the words, you can dress up to blend in or to be seen by men. There are some scenarios where to dress down, you're more conspicuous than dressing up. And so you, you can dress up either to blend in 
or you can dress up to put on some kind of spiritual air, or you can dress down to fit in or blend in, or you can dress down to be seen by men. Either can be spiritual temptations, and either can be perfectly fine as you be yourself, as you're just acting in the general going and flowing of your life. And you need to use wisdom there for how you dress and how you appear so that you're not trying to attract attention to yourself. We're not about our egos. Christian life and Christian living is, is basically being all about the glory of God and others. And it's a desire to forget about ourselves. If we want to boil down all of this morning, we can with point C under, under point three. Hunger for God more than the praise of man. If you forget everything else I've just said, remember that point. Hunger for God more than the praise of man. We need to hunger for God. We need to hunger for God this week. Just take a week of, in terms of a commitment. Just hunger for God a little bit more. You might want to do without food this week or for a portion of the week, or for a day, or for a meal. Just to hunger for him in a new way as you commit the fall season to God. But no matter what you do in terms of fasting, hunger for him in your heart, in secrecy. Long for God, because he's given us a transformed life. He saved us. The gospel is the reason that we hunger for him, not man's praise, not man's approval. But we love Jesus because he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, we want to have a renewed, invigorated appetite for you. God, draw us to you this week. I pray that we would be disciplined, that we would be willing to discipline ourselves, to pummel our, our bodies, spiritually speaking, where we would be willing to sacrifice anything to know you a little bit more. As we read the word of God, I pray that the words would pop off the pages, not not to boost up our knowledge, but to, to boost our relationship with you.